Hi, welcome to another episode of I Own a Business, where we focus on helping practice owners grow the practice of their dreams. And I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo, and I have with me here today, Dr. Adam Ramsey, who is owner of Socialite Vision in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. He's a nationally recognized speaker and author of the book, Play Chess the Practical Guide Start Your Dream Optometric Practice. And Dr. Ramsey, for, for many who, who know him, already know this, uh, he's taken a very innovative approach to practice ownership. And part of that innovation includes the use of virtual staff, which is what we're going to talk about today. So great to see you, Adam. How you been? I've been great. Thanks for having me, man. I, I was wondering when I was going to get onto your show, you know, because until I make it onto your show, you haven't truly made it, you know. So if you haven't actually got onto the show, then you haven't really reached the levels. So, you know, now that I've gotten onto your show, I feel more accomplished. I thought you were out of our league, so we were hesitant to reach out. We, we didn't want to overreach in the, in the early the episodes. Timing now, the timing is perfect. The timing is perfect. A little attraction. The timing is perfect. Yeah, now we get the big players to come on here. Um, you and I were at an event a few months ago. And actually, this we've been at two different events where the topic came up. But the one in particular I'm, I'm thinking of, we were sitting at the same table, a bit of a brainstorming session, and the topic of virtual staff got brought up. Uh, which is something that obviously you've implemented and it generated a lot of interest among the the people at the table and it created a lot of questions from the group uh so that's why i invited you on to talk about your experience with virtual staff how did you implement it uh, has it been successful is there anything that you would do differently so maybe i'll i'll start with this and i'm i, I think i have an idea the answer to this question i'm going to ask but i, I want to hear it in your words um what problem were you trying to solve with with virtual staff I, I should probably clarify here it's in your case just one employee correct just one. I, I started off with one but i would not be i wouldn't be opposed to multiple um it's hard to find staff right now and staff that want to work everybody want to work remote i can't do an eye exam remote right now not a full start to finish eye exam so i have to be in the office so i have to also find people that are willing to come into the office and it's hard to do that locally uh, in my office, I've been looking for staff probably for a full year, like actively looking for someone and been having a very hard time finding ones that want to work or that have a realistic expectation of what the value of the service is. Um, and one thing I've done in my in my office, in my business, since I've been practicing is I'm not afraid to try something. And I'm a part of the fail fast. If it's going to fail, fail fast, move on to the next thing, try something else. So, you know, when I heard about it, I was like, hey, this could work. If I could take these services off the plate of my existing staff, maybe these people could be more efficient. Even though that wasn't what I was looking for initially, I'm like, hey, I was looking for an optician. I'm not getting an optician virtually, but if I could take off some of the work off the plate of my existing optician, Maybe she is able to do other things in the office. Maybe we're able to go. And I says, okay, let me try it. I looked around, different services there, picked one within a month, saw one, went, go, brought them in the next week. They said, when can you start? They said, I can start today. Okay, I'm not ready today. Let me be next week. And then we went from there. Um, but you know, I've never been afraid to try something, even if it didn't work. And if it didn't work, move on to the next one. Uh, you know, discontinued contract, move on, lesson learned, but I learned the lesson quickly. 
So this is exactly the kind of conversation that was taking place at, at the table. And there was actually you and another doctor there who used the same company. So as, as you guys were talking, one of the first, one of the questions that I was thinking is, okay, where do you find these people? How, how do you uh, do your research? Uh, how did you locate a virtual? I, I think a lot of people are becoming more familiar with the concept, but wouldn't necessarily know where to go. So there's, and, and feel free to mention the name of the company if you'd like. So there's a lot of companies out there and you're getting somebody because you can get a virtual assistant that's in the U.S. The issue with that is you're still paying U.S. wages for somebody who's not in the U.S. Um, so that becomes a little bit more difficult and less advantageous of a situation. So then you can get companies that have people overseas and then they're getting paid in U.S. dollars. And then if that's the case and you then the, the conversion rate is less so you can you can pay them less and to them they're a lot more happy so there's companies that get people out of south africa there's companies that get people out of philippines that get people out of brazil out of a lot of different places and you just have to find one that works for you um i looked at a few different companies and the one that worked for me and i'm not you know i'm not paid consulting with them whatever is a service called hello rach hello and then r-a-c-h-e hello rach was the name was the name of the company that we that I used, I got that from Dr. Lockwood, who I asked, um, went to a uh, connection with, and she was like, oh, I'm using this service. I've been using them for a year. I'm like, a year? I'm behind the eight ball. The second somebody tells me they've been doing something for a year, and I've been on the fence looking for an employee this whole time, I'm mad. Before, as soon as I touched down from uh, connection, I already called, made an appointment to talk to the people over there, they were like, oh yeah, we can, we can send you some resumes by tomorrow. They sent me some resumes. I was able to look through it, selected one, boom. I interviewed her, hired her the same day. She was working the week after. And I was like, hey, let's let's go. The staff wasn't necessarily on board at first because they couldn't wrap their head and mind around it. They're like, what is she gonna do? Like, how is she gonna help us? Blah, blah, blah. And then when I gave them like, hey, what if I took these tasks off your plate? Because this, this is what I went to the staff and then I said, hey, what do you do every day? I want you to write down what you do every day. Like, what's the main things that you do? And everybody write down the top 10 things you do. And then I said, do you have to be here to do some of those tasks? Or when we, when we were going through COVID, were, weren't you remoting into that computer to do some of those tasks? He was like, yeah. So out of those 10, what if I could take four of those off your plate and you only had to do six? That'd be great. Well, she's going to do those four for you. Now, the trick to this is trust but verify because they're still your tasks. I'm giving you a little helper. So she's going to take four of those tasks off your plate. They're still all 10 of your tasks. So you need to check and see, did she do the four that she's helping you with correctly? And if she didn't, fix it. And that's how I did with every single staffer. So I took four four things off of everybody's plate, then I decided to, then I had to train them. That's the one thing is, yes, they may be, you know, some services say they have people that know I care. At the end of the day, I have, because I speak and I go around to different offices with people, I've seen dozens of offices in person, you know, going around, checking everybody out. Not a single person's office is just like another person. Every single person is out here doing eye care, which is better, one or two, different than the other person. So no matter what you do, you're going to have to train the person on how you deliver service and what you want in return 
for said service. What I would say is the people overseas are way more appreciative for the opportunity to work for you than any of my staff that's in my office. They like me. I like them. But they're not telling me thank you every day. This staffer literally tells me thank you every single day. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. You're appreciative. But she's like, no, you don't understand. She's a pharmacist in the Philippines, and I give her more money than she would if she worked in a pharmacy in the Philippines. I'm like, there's no way I'm giving you more money because I'm not even giving you that much money. But because the U.S. dollar is so much stronger than the dollars overseas, when they convert it, it's worth more money to them. And I'm like, that's crazy. So they're just appreciative. Like, hey, I get to work. I hired her December 1st. And after I hired her December 1st, she sent me a message two weeks later about, you no, know, she sent me a message on Christmas, showing me a picture of her Christmas tree saying, because of you, my kids get to have Christmas. Hmm. What? I never had, I've had employees for nine, eight years. No. No, 10 years now. I've been employed 10 years. None of them have sent me a picture of the Christmas tree saying, it's because of you, my kids get Christmas. Even though none of my employees have another job. So technically it is because of me, they have Christmas. But they have never sent me a picture saying that. So when people think, oh, we're stealing jobs in the U.S., they say, we're not stealing jobs in the U.S. People in the U.S. do not want to do said jobs. They do not want to work. Everybody wants to be an Instagram influencer. Everybody thinks I'm going to go viral off of TikTok and I'm not going to have to work. So we're not stealing jobs they don't want to do. We're finding people that are willing to do them. The trick is I still need people in the physical store. Somebody we edge in-house. Somebody has to physically edge the lenses. When I order contacts, somebody has to order the trials again. Somebody has to put their head in the auto refractor. So I can't outsource all the jobs, but can I outsource who answers the phones? Can somebody overseas pull insurances for me? Can somebody overseas uh, scribe for you? Can somebody overseas uh, send emails and text messages and re-engage patients and follow up patients uh, that have been lost, you know, lost to follow up? Can you do any, anything, anything that's on the computer can be done somewhere else. And that's pretty much what I did with the service is take the services and, and say, that's outsource everything that's on the computer, trust but verify, and use that person to, to, to provide some services to help out and make my existing staff feel less stressed. So this opens up so many other questions. Um, let, let's start here on the training aspects, because it, it's hard to train staff. It sounds like you found somebody who's extremely coachable, obviously very appreciative of what you've given them, very engaged in their role. Um, but like you said, you still have to train that individual. And it sounds like this person didn't have background in optical. They had background in pharmacy. So did they come in with with no experience at all in the eye care field? And what was it a very similar process to training other staff? How do you do that for a virtual employee? I think this person, I spent more time training than I before I let them do anything than I would somebody standing in my office. So I did not let her interact with a patient until I think January 10th because I hired December. December in everybody's office is crazy. The first week of January is crazy. 
So I hired her in December and I paid her for the full month. And all she did for 40 hours a week was watch YouTube videos. I literally sent her YouTube videos of my EHR, of Weave, of Crystal, of uh, IMED, VSP, how to pull authorizations. All that stuff is on YouTube. So I literally sent her a playlist of stuff on YouTube and said, watch, take notes. And she would send me an email every day. I watch these videos. I still have these left to do. Let me know what else you need me to do. At the end of the week, she sent me a summary of I've watched all of these. I've done all of these. This is what I'm going to start on Monday. Thank you so much for the ability to work here. Monday morning, she'd send me an email. I'm about to start work, and these are the videos I'm going to start on, blah, blah, blah. Then I set up um, the, the only tricky part is the phones, because Weave allows you to do the text messaging. So she was able to, to, to get text messaging on the computer and send texts to patients. But she right now, Weave does not allow you to have a phone that's outside of the US have the app to, to, to make phone calls for you. So I had, to, I had to go through about three or four phone services um, that we would forward the calls. So the calls are coming into us, then it gets forwarded to her and she can pick up the phone. Hello, this is so-and-so from Socialite Vision. How can I help you? The patient is calling our regular phone number, but she's picking up. The problem was when she called out, it had a different phone number. So that's the only little tricky part. So people will call back and say, hey, they had this weird Foxy's one number said it was you, but your, I thought your phone number was that. So that's the only part that has been solved. I'm hearing in the whispers that Weave has gotten so many requests from everybody that eventually that, that's going to get solved. You know, Weave keeps trying to do different things. Um, almost all voiceover IPs are probably going to have the same issue uh, with the number not originating in the U.S., um, but that was the only little uh, tricky part. But I, she spent the first six weeks just training. I don't have any employees in my office that I let them stay in my office for six weeks before they interacted with a patient. So she was she was better at Crystal and some of our software than us because she actually watched all the training videos. I know us. We watched a few of them. I got it. I can figure it out. I know my staff. They watched a couple of them and told me they watched them all and was like, I'll figure it out as I get along. You know, guys are, you know, I don't have any uh, male employees, but. They acted like men where they were like, oh, it's okay. I don't need the manual. I can click, file, start, copy, paste. What, what, what's the holdup? I can do this. And uh, she had six weeks where she literally just watched all the training videos. Some of them had modules where they went through and they, they did the modules. Um, I sent her stuff from, uh, you know, online universities, from VSP, IMED, Essilor, everybody's online university. I made her learn about the eyeball just in general, about contacts, because people ask crazy questions on the, on the phone and I needed her to be able to be somewhat versed in what it was. Um, I sent her videos of how to get to our office, Google Maps, so she can, when people are trying to get directions, I literally took my phone and did a video and said, this is where the front of our office is. If they're asking about this and this cross street, this is what it is. I mean, you have to really look at it from her perspective She's, she's 12 hours away. She's in the Philippines. So she's working at night. So when they start at 10 a.m., it's 10 p.m. for her. When we end at 6 p.m., it is 6 a.m. for her. So the, it's, she's in a totally different zone than what we are. So I had to you know, be like, okay, this person's in another place, has never been here, and has to act as if she's in my office. So how much? So I almost feel like I over-communicated. Mm -hmm. I over-described. 
I overexplained, which I don't think I did with any other employees. And that's a knock on me. I probably should have most of my employees trained for six weeks before I make them interact with a patient. Most of them trained for a week and were like, I can do this. Let's go. All right, let's go get to work. And then we help, we trained them in between and we showed them as we were going. Um, so that's kind of what I did. What is, so you mentioned some things before that would be applicable to um, a remote or a virtual scenario. How do you use it? People might be wondering, well, what, what responsibilities do you actually ever, and I'm just curious, are you the only one who interacts with this person or does the rest of the staff interact as well? I interact with her the least right now. Okay. Um, so the, they have it set up where they do HIPAA compliant training. I did the HIPAA compliance training um, and she got a HIPAA certificate. They did a HIPAA certificate for them already before they came to us because these are medical virtual assistants. Um, there are other companies that have regular virtual assistants, but I chose the company that does medical virtual assistants. So they already did some HIPAA stuff. So then I did it again uh, here in just to kind of cover my own basis here. Um, sometimes they think of it as using for a scribe. And I think she came in with the notion that she may be scribing. I right now I haven't had her scribing because the bottleneck in my office is not on me. The bottleneck in my office is I don't have enough staff. So um, I have her helping the staff, but she could scribe. And this is where what people are doing is they'll get on a Zoom just like this and you can leave the camera on or camera off. But imagine somebody looking from your computer, looking into your exam room and can listen instead of sitting down in your office, they're in your office, but on Zoom and is controlling your computer, putting the stuff into your EHR while you're going. Um, that's how some people are using them as medical scribes. And I could see somebody with multiple offices or multiple exam lanes doing that. And the person would just go from room to room. Um, I've seen a few people use them on like an iPad. So if you're going from room to room, instead of them coming in on the computer, they're coming in, they're, stay, they're staying with you on a tablet that you carry from room to room and then they're listening. So I'm on the cornea, the, 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 the lens uh, has nuclear sclerosis, grade four. I see you know, vitreous floaters, the patient has a PVD in the right eye. So you're pretty much talking it out. And the patient, the people that I've talked to said the patients like it better because the doctor's talking out loud what they're seeing and doing. So now the patient knows what you looked at and described and knows what you were looking for. You know, this ratio is 0.3 vertical, 0.4 horizontal, blah, 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 blah. You're just talking it out. The scribe is getting it, putting it in the computer as you're going. And the patient is like, oh, okay. And some people, you know, say that the patient's like that. So I'm excited to add on another scribe for the, um, to actually to actually scribe for me. Uh, that, that, that was pretty my next thing. After I had the staff feel like they've up, caught up and they have everything they need and they don't feel overwhelmed because that's what I was noticing. We, my staff was feeling overwhelmed. We had more patient requests. I had to slow my, I had to slow my office down and work less because I don't, I don't have the staff to keep up with the patient demand. And, and when I realized that, and I was, at, I was at home, a day like this, I'm home today, a day like this, and I had nothing to do, I could be in the office, but I knew my staff would all quit if I said I wanted to work today, because they were so far behind on stuff that they're like, listen, I need time to do this. You're asking me to do this, to put in insurance. I have to edge lenses. I have to do all these other things that I don't have time to do. I need a minute to do it. So I had to take days off in the schedule, you know, just to give them a chance to catch up. So we're, we're closer to being caught up now, which is good. Um, uh, so you can do a lot of stuff. So that's one thing people are using. 
I personally use her for, she pulls insurances, she calls and confirms patients, um, and she does that by phone call, text, and email. She makes sure we have the appropriate insurance for that patient, and the patient is eligible that day. Sometimes the patient books an appointment online, but they're not eligible for a week, a two, a month, whatever. So then we call them like, hey, you need to move your appointment because you're not eligible or you're going to be paying out of pocket. So they're doing that. And then we put a little coding system so the staff knows this patient was called and confirmed. We have the insurance in file, they're eligible, blah, blah, blah. Um, before everybody's appointment, we give them uh, an estimate on what they're going to pay. So uh, their co-pays, what it's going to charge, if they've met the deductible, not met the deductible, whatever. That's in an email ahead of time. So they know, hey, your visit is going to cost you uh, $82, blah, 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 just so you know ahead of time. She's sending all those out. Um, she's also, if a patient texts or emails the office, she's replying first if she can reply. And then what she's also doing is delegating it to who needs to reply. So like if the patient emails a general box, but it needs to go to me, then she's forwarding it to me and then putting a task in crystal. She can create tasks for me. And she's like, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Or a patient calls and needs a refill on their Zydra, then she's putting a task in crystal for me saying refill Mrs. Smith's Zydra. And then, then she's checking it off and then it's going to me as a task and then I'm completing it. So she's kind of like delegating out to who needs this. And then what we created was a um, group chat uh, in Weave, and we have one in Crystal, but we mainly use the one in Weave. And there's a WhatsApp chat too, but they mainly use the one in Weave. And she asks questions. So somebody calls and she doesn't know the answer, uh, we ask questions. The staff has to always put, when we get people's contacts or glasses or whatever, put it in the computer so she can pull it. But if she looks in the computer and it's not there, then she'll ask, hey, is this done? Is this completed? Um, this person is calling about this specific product um, or this their contacts or their um, glasses. What's the status? Um, we put tracking numbers in there for people's contacts because we ship direct to patient 100%. So um, we uh, put all that in the computer so that they can then follow up uh, with her. So anything that can be done on the computer is what we're doing on the the, the computer basically. You mentioned before that the staff was a little nervous about this in the beginning. So I, I am curious, what is their, um, their feelings on it now? And was there any sense I could almost see what, if you presented this maybe the wrong way to, to your staff that they could see it as a threat and partly because in Take large it. part, be, because of the, the, the payroll aspect, you mentioned hire virtual staff in the which seems to be an answer to the to your point it, it's hard to find people so that's another avenue it's somewhat of an answer to the work balance thing which a lot of employees are are interested in but it doesn't really solve the payroll issue so if you've got a current staff thinking you know they're hearing that we're going to hire a virtual staff member at a supposed significantly less uh you know rate hourly rate or salary that that could potentially be a threat to them so i'm curious what is your staff's perception now of this arrangement and was there any initial sense of threat i mean were they threatened at all about their their positions i think it's the way you position it and the way you present it it's very important how you present it especially for your front desk because that is the position that can be removed the easiest you can't really remove the optician or the technician come 100 percent. i could see a world in which you don't have a front desk and don't need one i could definitely see that because most of those things are done virtually.
but we still get people's driver's license and we still get their insurance card that needs to be scanned into the computer and she can't do that virtually. So um, there's still a world in which, but I could have my technician that's working the patient up do those couple of tasks and everything else be done virtually. Um, but I think it's the way you position it. Today, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, hey, I wanted to get her to scribe for me on the busy days. And they were like, oh, no, no, you can't take my helper away. Oh, no, 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 she's mine. You need to get another one. You need to get your own. This one's, this one's mine. So now they're taking ownership. Like, oh, no, 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 I need the help. Don't, don't, don't be trying to fill her up with other stuff to do. I still got stuff I need her to do for me. So they're, you know, fully bought in. And uh, it's, it, what I did was when we had the options, because the, the service sends you resumes of, of different people. And I looked through all of them. I looked personally for somebody who wore glasses or they had contacts just because I was like, at least you've been to the eye doctor once, right? I don't know if you've been 12 times, but I know you've been at least once you're wearing glasses, right? So I, that's what I look for. Then they gave you, um, you could see their handwriting and you could see uh, they did, they talked on a Zoom recording, like, hello, my name is so-and-so. You know, I would love to work for you. These are the things I can do, blah, 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 blah. And so you were able to see their English. The English is really good. It wasn't bad. I, you know, like, and I think about it like this. Every single time I call my cable company or the bank or any kind of 1-800 number, and I listen, I can hear they're in a call center. These people are not in the U.S. No, and this has been going on for 10 years plus that all the big companies have been using people overseas to outsource labor. Every single time you call anybody, your credit card, your anything, they are not in the U.S. and they have not been in the U.S. for a long time, right? The difference between this is that it's one person and I'm training them on what I need them to do. And she's working from home, not in a call center. So you don't hear the background noise of a call center. She's literally in her house, in a guest room, and she's against a wall. And she can put up anything in the background, but patients aren't seeing her. So I saw her when we were on Zoom, but she's just, it's audio only. Um, and most of the time she's texting and doing emails. There's very little with that. The most time she's doing is an inbound phone call. So, um, but now the staff are like, oh no, no, this one's mine. You can't take this one. But I think it's the way you presented. Like I presented it like, could you use some help? And they're like, yes, I could use some help. Would you like me to take off four out of 10? So you still have six tasks that I can't outsource. There were six tasks that this person could not do or could not help her with. So now it's their little helper and not so much that the person's going to take your job. Um, and I think that's a better way to present it. And that's, I had to think about it for a little while on how to present it and how to explain it and, and, and get it there. And now I don't think I could operate without it because the cost to operate a business, we have to find ways in which to make these numbers work. These companies are paying us the same, if not less than they did 10 years ago. And we have a cost to do business that's higher than it was 10 years ago, but we get paid less than it was 10 years ago. So you have to find areas in which you can squeeze. And this is an area in which I feel like I'm getting more for less and the person is happy about it. Not unhappy. You know, I'm not a person that I don't underpay my staff. I, you know, I, I'm, I tell them, I tell my staff, I says, if you worry about my money, I'm going to worry about your money. 
But the day you start worrying about your money and stop worrying about my money, I'm going to start worrying about my money and stop worrying about your money. So my staff know that and understand that. I said, if you waste my money, then I'm going to waste your money. But if you, if you make sure you do what you're supposed to, then I'm going to do what I'm supposed to. So I always look out and make sure that I am ahead of the curve with them. I try to give them a raise before they ask for one because you know, they talk. I know staff talk. I know they probably all look on Indeed and see what different people are hiring. And I tell them, if anybody want to work weekends and want to stay here till 9 o'clock at night, we can all get a $5, $5 an hour raise. But you're going to work till 9 o'clock every night, and you're going to work weekends. Does anybody want to do that? Nobody raised their hand. Okay. Because that's the only way you get paid those numbers that they're getting paid. That's the only way. Do you want to have twice as many patients? And when you're checking out a person, you're working with two and three people and have them look for the glasses themselves and you're just giving them numbers at the end. That's how you will have to function and operate to get paid the numbers that those people are getting paid. If you want to do that, I can crank this thing up. I can fill that schedule back up. I can make the exams every 15 minutes. I'll get me some scribes and I'll move it and groove it. But you have to keep up with that and I will pay you those numbers. So I said, don't worry. Anybody wants to offer anything, don't worry about it. I'll do it. But you have to do what you would have to do at their office at my office to get that number. Nobody wanted to take the deal. I, so, I think I like the, the way you positioned it for the, the staff as well. For anyone thinking about doing this but worried that the staff is going to feel threatened by it, is making sure it's clear that they, you know, telling your staff, you are a valuable part of our team and I need people in the office. Make sure you establish that. But taking that approach of I'm going to easier because who wouldn't want someone to come along and make their job easier? So if you said they've got 10 things and I'm going to things off your plate, I don't know who wouldn't be interested in that, but also positioning or balancing that with the, you know, making sure that you're communicating to them that I actually in the office. So I, I think they're probably needs to be somewhat of a, uh, you know, part of that communication in the beginning uh, to make sure that they're clear on that. You allude, you, you mentioned the impression from patients has been mostly positive. Can you elaborate? I think some doctors might fear, and I've heard this before, and I don't know if it was really justified for that office, but we were talking about some of the different technology out there to deliver eye care, virtual staff, virtual scribes, that sort of thing. And I've heard this with really no basis for um, validation, but people say my, the, my patients wouldn't like that. And I don't know where that even comes from, but tell me a little bit more about your experience as far as the patient perception of this. So we have some older patients and they're, they get a little confused because they call in and they want to talk to the person they normally talk to. They only want to, this 85 year old lady comes call this all the time. She want to talk to the person that she likes. She calls the phone. Can I talk to so-and-so? Uh, no, she's not available right now. No, I'll wait. No, no, no. You're in the Philippines. You can't. No, no, no. Where she's busy. Uh, so what we do is the people that need those kind of things, we call them back. So the, the the virtual assistant takes a message for us, sends it to the 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 staffer. This person wants to talk to you, and then they call them back. So then the person still gets to talk to them, but the phone isn't ringing. And I will tell you the days like right now, I have somebody at my front desk two days a week. And three days a week, my virtual assistant is doing the front desk. So the days when the, the virtual assistant is doing the calls, it's quiet in the office because the phone is not ringing. 
we they call out if they need to make a phone call, but the phone isn't ringing in, so it's peaceful. Um, I think people come to terms with it. They're like, hey, I called so-and-so. Who's that? Like, that's new. And I was like, oh, yeah, we have that. And I'll tell you, my patients like that we're cutting edge, like that we're doing different things. Oh, you have somebody from overseas. You're outsourcing this and the other. Oh, man, you're always staying ahead of the curve. Man, Yeah, man, it's tough to hire, blah, 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 when they come in. And I, I, I don't think – and she's like, oh, man, you always – you always find the next thing. You're always trying to, you know, do something new and different. I, you know, I, I, if, if anybody would do it, I know you would. That's what my patients say. Um, I, I could see some people co- being complaining, but I think a lot of times people project themselves on other people. And I'm not going to not do something for the 1%. percent mm-hmm. let think of it. I could have 50 people tell me I'm great. And the one patient that complains about prices or complains about uh, services or complains that they have to wait five minutes before they were seen. Then all of a sudden people try to change their whole business model over one complaint, but you could have a hundred people that have no problem with it. that have not complained on pricing, but the second one person complains, Oh, I think maybe we're overcharging. Maybe we need to reduce prices. Da, 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 da. No worry about the hundred. The one person is going to complain. If nobody complains about your prices, your prices are too low. They're supposed to complain. I think the rule is supposed to be 20 or 30% of people complain. And 80% like your pricing or okay with your pricing and 20% complain, then your pricing is probably appropriate. People that only have 1% of people complaining, then you're probably too low already. You should go up, not down. Like, so I I think I kind of look at myself and I say, listen, there are going to be some claims. There is some growing pains. We're all learning. This person is learning. I'm learning how to do it. You know, I say, I'm going to give you some grace if you give me some grace. I'm not going to be perfect at it. I'm going to be learning. I'm learning how to deliver and and do that. And we work within. And I think finding tasks that can and should be done somewhere else virtually is what we did and what we started with. I think if you try to do too much too quick, um, the person isn't trained. The staff also have to know how to interact and deliver something. Because I tell them, if it's not in the computer, she does not know what's on your sticky note. If you don't put in that those glasses are completed in the computer, she will not know that they are. So when the person calls, she's going to have to keep asking you stuff and she's not going to be able to answer the questions on the phone. So as soon as you finish edging those glasses, you need to put in the computer that it's complete and ready to be picked up. Then when they call, the person can do it. So now it has made everybody have to do everything in the computer and do it in a way that's repeatable. So you need to put the notes in the same spot every time. You can't put it in this spot this time and that spot that time because you're going to remember. You, we have to be all on the same page and everybody has to be consistent. So I think it, it, it required everybody to be more consistent and to be more concise. Um, and it's been better for, for everybody all around. But yeah, you're going to get some complaints. But I think that's a lot of times doctors, older doctors, older staff that push off their own fears onto other people and say this person would never like that okay how much does that person spend in my office next to nothing why am i creating my business model over the one complainer that is probably going to go to costco anyway for their services and they just come to us for the exam and walk with their glasses and i make no money and they take so long to come in they come late they don't want to fill out the forms they take forever they go to the bathroom three times during the exam like no, that's not who I'm creating my office for. I create my office for this person. And this, this, this avatar of a patient is going to be happy with these, what I, in what I'm implementing. 
These people are not, but my office was never created for everybody. I can't be all things to all people. I'm gonna be created for these people that appreciate my service, appreciate my time and understand what we're doing. Um, and for that, I let the other stuff, I let the other stuff go. You know, the other way of looking at that, I, I love that analogy, but um, I, I read this somewhere. Don't punish, you know, the assumption being 2% of your clientele, we'll call them, because this wasn't specific to to eye care, um, can be difficult, can be the complainers, can be the the ones who cause the problems. Don't punish 98% of your clientele for the 2% that cause problems. I think sometimes we do that. It's the 2%. We start building policies around that that affect everybody. So if you do get a couple of complainers on the virtual aspects, but everybody else is seeing a benefit and getting value from it, and your ability to continue because you're you're saving money on payroll, right? So you supposedly have more revenue that you keep to be able to invest back into the practice, the technology, the staff, the resources to deliver higher care. Don't punish the people that are benefiting from this for the sake of of the um, of the few that are complaining. And and on that topic, I I'm I was interested in where you see this going. You mentioned your willingness and eagerness to try new things but you know as well as i do that not everybody's wired up that way and i, I think within our profession we can be slow to embrace change and um you know I, I like to use the phrase when it comes to trends you don't have to like all trends just don't ignore them i see this as a trend I, i'm curious where you see this virtual staffing going over the next five to 10 years. I think it's going to be huge. I, I think right now we're having a conversation over something that seems very isolated, a handful of doctors, maybe more than I realize, but it's still relatively small, the number of doctors using virtual. Less than 1%, I'd say less than 1% of eye doctors right now are, are using it. And it depends on what your bubble is, it's okay? So my friends are a little more cutting edge, right? So my friends may be a higher percentage of the ones that are using it because that's who I try to associate myself with, right? But my friends probably are not the norm for every single person out there and every single uh, every single office. I would think within the next 10 years, at least half of offices will have one virtual assistant. At least half would have one virtual assistant that can help me because the, the, the services are getting better, the people are doing it and I don't see people wanting to work anymore. The cost of childcare and what they get paid, people that have multiple kids, unless you are making six figures, it's hard to justify. It's really hard when you have little ones. Now, when they're in elementary school, that's different. You know, you just have to pay for aftercare and stuff like that. But if you got three kids under five, you can't you can't work. It's very difficult. The numbers don't work. Um, so I definitely see the trend of people not wanting to work or only wanting to work remote, remote or virtual jobs continuing. Um, and uh, if so, we're gonna have a hard time filling positions in offices, regardless of what you pay. Because I even see people that pay a lot more money and they still have openings and they always have openings. So it's not always only the salaries, not always only that, but I definitely see the trend increasing of more people. I've tried stuff in the past that didn't work, and we we cut it in and moved on. But what I was surprised when some when that when Dr. Lockwood told me, she's like, oh, I've had it for over a year. I was like, no, I'm behind the trend. Me? I was not on it. Oh, that's gonna change right now. And I literally spent a couple of days in here. I was 
typing, Googling, YouTube, figuring it all out, asking everybody. I'm calling hey, you. Oh, yeah, I have, a, I have a scribe. Oh, oh yeah, I got a virtual assistant. I'm like, how come nobody told me? Like, what, what, how did I miss that? The memo, we text all the time, you know? So I think people are going to jump on board because the, the ability for them to, to help out and thin, thin out your staff and allow it to uh, make your staff happier. Um, now, my staff look way less stressed than they did before. They're way, way more caught up, way less behind. Um, the patients are happier. Um, we're able to do a lot more. We're able to deliver the level of service that I want. Um, and I can see myself hiring one or two more uh, in the future as the office grows. Definitely want one to scribe for me. So that's going to be the next thing that I'm going to implement. It's going to allow me to, yesterday, I, I finished at seven. I didn't leave, leave the office till eight because I still had to finish charts. So, like, that's a good problem to have, but I want to leave at seven, too. Everybody left. All the lights were off, and I was still in there finishing and leaving the charts because I don't like to take work home. I like to finish it that day, and I'm, and I'm not taking any work home. So I'd rather stay late and finish it. And some people are like, oh, I'll come back and do it tomorrow. Tomorrow's problems are tomorrow's problems. Today, I don't know what's going to – I don't know what I'm walking into tomorrow. I want to finish it today. I can start off on a, a clean slate. Um, so I definitely see myself hiring and bringing somebody in uh, for that. Um, so yeah, I can definitely see that that in the future. I can definitely see that 50%, if not more, being accurate over the next five to 10 years. And, and I would just say, if you're uncomfortable with this idea right now, or maybe somebody who's generally slow to change, like I said, you don't have to like all trends, but but don't ignore trends. Because I think I think this is going to be a big one for, for many of the reasons you mentioned. And you, what you don't want to be is find yourself in a position where like you realize somebody else is doing it, but that's just one other doctor. They've been doing it for a year. You don't want to go to work one day and realize everybody around you is doing this and you're still having the same struggles with the staff when there was a, a, a solution out there. Also consider that the technology is going to get a lot better. So what we're talking about right now, five years from now, is going to seem archaic. You know, the the means of communication and the technology that's in place and the ability to train these individuals is going to be a lot better five, certainly 10 years from now. So I, I think that is going to, uh, for better or worse, and I think it's for the better, uh, be a uh, something that's really going to be adopted by eye care out of somewhat out of efficiency, but out of necessity as well. So um, Adam really appreciate uh, the, the time. This is a, I think a very interesting topic that a lot of docs are wanting to know more about. So as we close out here, you have a book like I do. We're a couple fellow authors, but tell us a little bit about the book. You got it right there. If you're audio, unfortunately you can't see it, uh, but I'm going to let Adam talk about it and what's in there. And I'm just curious if you see the virtual aspect of staffing, something that would be on point with what we're talking about, um, something that would be uh, potentially considered for a new practice as well, because that's what your book is about. Yeah, thanks for asking me uh, about the book. Um, I definitely see virtual scribing going to be in book number two. So I'm putting together the formula for what I want for book number two. And this will be in this will be in there as a part of it. Um, you know, think of it like I wish I knew then what I know now. And that's what I put into the book. So when I wrote this book, Play Chess, Not Checkers, The Practical Guide to uh, Warm Start Your Dream Optometric Practice, it's pretty much a nuts to bolts beginning to end to how to open a practice, have the idea of a practice. I'm working in a commercial setting. I'm working for another doctor. I'm in school. I'm a fourth year and I want to open up my own practice. But I don't know what step one is because I looked at the, the, the landscape and you know all the books out there. You're an author. There was not a book on how to open from scratch. All the books were, you have a million dollar practice. Let me help you make it a $5 million practice. 
But who helps the person who does not have a practice get to the first dollar? That was not there. And I had an issue with uh, um, trademarking my name. I, I used to be called uh, Iconic Eye Care, and I got swept up in the issues with, uh, with that, and I'll leave the name of the company out. But I got swept up in that, and I had to change the name of my business because I didn't have it trademarked. And I was mad. I was frustrated because I opened my office in 2016. I was told I had to change my name in 2017, and I changed it in 2018. So I got a loan from the bank to open my office and did all tens of thousands of dollars in marketing for a name that I no longer can use. So then I had to start with a new name with no money in the bank to actually market it. So I lost all my Google reviews, all my stuff. So I opened in 2016, but I feel like I, I had to take two years off because I feel like I started fresh again in 2018 because I had no, uh, had no sales on all, all my marketing to SEO for that name is now started over and I didn't have the money to then put into the marketing, paid marketing for the name. And I've sat back and I was like mad at myself. I literally was mad at myself being like, I read all the books out there. I read all of them twice. I've read all your books, right? And nobody told me that I should trademark my name. I read every single person's book. I went on Amazon, I typed in optometry, I care, and I bought every book. If I was in my office, you would see I have like 15 books of everybody who was there. I have read each of them at least twice. Now that there's audibles, I've listened to some of them multiple times. None of them talked about trademarking. At the time, I was the president of my local society. And I stood in front of all of them. There was like 40, 50 doctors in the room. And I said, did any of you guys trademark your name? Looked in the room. 40 to 45 optometrists in this room. Nobody did. So I was like, okay, so I'm not wrong in that I didn't trademark. Is that nobody trademarks their name in eye care because who thinks that's going to have a, be a problem? Like, what, what is going to be an issue with that? You're going to spend money to trademark? Why would you do that, right? So then I was like, okay, so it's not wrong. I just didn't know. But I was like, and I told my friend, I was like, hey, I should probably tell somebody like Steve Vargo that he should put this in his next book about trademarking. You know, I should probably tell him. I'm writing it down right now. Yeah, right, exactly. You should put that in the book. And then, my, and then a friend of mine was like, but why tell Steve when you could just write it yourself? Because Steve did not have an issue with trademarking. So how is he going to write a book about something that he doesn't understand personally because he didn't have to go through what you had to go through? And I was like, oh, okay. So I wrote in 2019. So I remember I changed the name in 2018. 2019, I just wrote. And by the end of the year, uh, I put it out like December 31st of 2019 it came out like january 1st 2020 then we had the pandemic and everything after that um but uh and, and i put the book out and it just gives you the nuts the bolts of how to open and i didn't say and i still don't say i'm not perfect my practice isn't perfect my business isn't perfect i'm not a multi-millionaire i was just a guy that had a problem and said you know what i can help somebody else that's before me i may not be able to help the person with a multi-million dollar practice with 12 locations and they're doing $10 million a year. I may not have the answers for that person, but I have the answer for the person who wants to just start. I help that person. I'm further along than them, you know? And I said, I'm gonna create the book for them. And then now it's been a couple of years since that. My office is doing better, I'm growing. So the next book is gonna be for the going ahead because now I have people that have read my book and, you know, I sold quite a few copies for somebody who doesn't even market it. And I had a guy come up to me and says, I read your book a year and a half ago 
and it was great. And I'm on my office. I'm going to, I'm opening office number two. I need the next, I need the next set of answers. And I'm like, shoot, I might have to get you to write the next book then, you know, if we go ahead. And that's, that, that's pretty much what it is. Just trying to help people. There's an audible, there's an ebook and there's a printed version. And then I have uh, on my Dr. Adam Ramsey website, I added in some uh, videos of content that, because it's quicker to, to release the content in video format um, of more things. And people are like, hey, I read the book. Now I need some other help. What can I do? And on the website, you can pay a fee and you can get uh, a library of video content that I recorded kind of just like this um, of more things that can help them uh, in their journey of trying to grow their practice and their business. And that's all I'm doing. I'm, I'm learning. And as I learn, I, I you know, the adage of see one, do one, teach one. I get it in. I spit it out just as quickly as I, as I get it in. And I don't talk from a position of perfection. I talk from, hey, this is what I know. I don't know. I don't know everything, but I know enough. And uh, I'll share from that. Well, Adam, we really appreciate, um, and we'll be on the lookout for book number two, right? Big announcement here. So look, uh, be on the lookout. If you don't have Adam's first book, was it, uh, would they find that on your website? Would they find it on Amazon? If you, if you type it in on Amazon, it comes, it's being sold and shipped from, from Amazon. Uh, but you can go on my website, dradamramsey.com, and you can get it there, or you can go on Amazon and put in, put, put it in. Uh, you can't miss the face. It's right on the front of the book. Um, my mom said it. This is a face for TV, so I'm, I'm going with that. Uh, she didn't say face for radio. She said a face for TV. <laughs> so that's what we're doing. Um, it's right there. Get it. Uh, tell your friends. You know, sometimes there's, you you can pay a consultant twenty thousand dollars, or you can buy a book, and and you you may not get twenty thousand dollars worth of work, but I give you at least your money's worth. The 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 the, the book is worth more than twenty bucks. I give you more than twenty dollars worth of information out of the book. Um, if not, I'll give you 20 bucks my, back myself. Well, I definitely recommend reading the book. I And I can guarantee it's worth way more than, than $20 of, of, has more than $20 of value in it. So uh, Adam, thanks so much for your time. And thanks for all your contributions, not not just with, with what we talked about today, but across the industry, you got your hands in a lot of things that we didn't even talk about today, a lot of um, social efforts. And and we really appreciate everything you bring to the um uh, to the the industry. I, I know at IDOC, we're really happy to have you um, involved with our company as well. So really appreciate your time and hope to have you back maybe for book number two when that comes out. Coming soon. Thanks. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Adam. And, and if uh, thanks everyone for listening. If you'd like more information about IDOC and how we work with doctors to grow, help them grow their practice, you can find out more at IDOC.net. So thanks, Adam. And thanks everyone for listening.